Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. The next Tell Us Something live storytelling event is September 27th at the Denison Theater. The theme is Letting Go. Eight storytellers take the stage to share their true personal stories from memory. Tickets are now on sale for Tell Us Something live at the Denison Theater, September 27th. Get your tickets at tellussomething.org. We again welcome our friends from the deaf community by providing American Sign Language interpretation. See you September 27th for Letting Go Stories at the Denison Theater. More information and tickets are available at tellussomething.org. The next Tell Us Something podcast episodes are a little different than what you are used to. You will meet each member of the Tell Us Something board. Former board member Sierra Ty Brownlee interviewed the Tell Us Something board for her podcast, Impactful Experiences. Sierra believes that listening to meaningful stories changes your ideas and makes you think and feel beyond what you may already accept. This week, Sierra sits down with Telesomic board member Jason Sloat. Let's listen. Welcome back to Impactful Experiences with Sierra Ty Brownlee, where I chat with a new guest each episode and ask them to share one of their impactful experiences. This is your host, Sierra, and I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Today, I'm joined by Jason Sloat, current risk manager at the University of Montana in Missoula, Montana, and Tell Us Something board member. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Sierra. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So let's just hop right in. And I'd love to hear about your impactful experience. Yeah. So, you know, when when I was thinking about what impactful experience I wanted to share, I was thinking about my my current life um, here in Western mm-hmm. Montana. And I started to think about th- there was one very impactful experience that led me to this point that I'm at now. Um, I'm just turned 48 years old. And um, it kind of feels like I had this experience. um, When I was 23 years old, I was fresh out of college. The year was 1997. And I had an experience in Missoula, that all these years later has kind of everything, everything in a sense has 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 really come full circle for me. And the reason I'm here today is because of this impactful experience that I had in the late 90s, um, arriving in Missoula as a kid who was kind of fresh out of college. And that's the experience that I'd like to share today. Okay. That sounds great. Well, I'd love to hear about it. And if you could tell us what brought you to Montana. Sure. So I graduated from a small liberal arts college in central Indiana in in uh, 1997. And, uh, my, my best friend and I set out when, when we graduated from college, we didn't really have any career plans. Um, Mm -hmm. we were, we were trying to figure out what we were doing with our lives. Um, it was a moment for, I think both of us of, of kind of great uncertainty. Neither of us had a distinct path that we could see kind of out of college into real adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so we set out on a road trip in kind of the classic American road trip. Yeah. And 
we didn't really have much of a plan um, other than we were going to, we decided to challenge ourselves by seeing how long we could go without paying for lodging. Okay. Just as a challenge. Um, so uh, at the time I had my high school vehicle, which was a very old 1980 Jeep CJ seven, like an old school kind of version of a Jeep Wrangler. Okay. And we loaded, we loaded this Jeep up with all of our earthly possessions um, in the early summer of 1997. And we set out um, to just see kind of where the road would take us. And mm -hmm. we ended up traveling for almost four months um, and we spent most of those four months camping. And once we got out of the Midwest, we stuck to national forests um, so mm -hmm. that we could camp for free. That was yeah. part of our part of our challenge. And four months later, we had been we, we left Indiana. We went north through Michigan uh, into Canada, around the north side of Lake Superior, came down, spent some time in the Boundary Waters in Minnesota came across the Dakotas, traveled down the Rocky Mountain front, almost all the way to Mexico, turned around and went up the west side of the Rocky Mountains, eventually ended up landing in Missoula. And by the time we ended up in Missoula, Montana, we pulled into town uh, on a September afternoon mm -hmm. and we were running very low on cash. Mm. And um, we had to kind of figure out what we were going to do about that. And the first place that we ended up going in town, we actually, we actually drove, we figured out where downtown was and we parked on Higgins Avenue and we got out of our Jeep and we asked the first person we met, where's a place we could get a beer where the locals hang out like a, a locals kind of place. Right. And they said, well, there's a bar across the street, like a half a block up. It's called Charlie B's. And there's no sign, but you'll know it when you get there. Okay. Um, and so we walked up Higgins Avenue and we found this door that had a little sign connected to it that said on the corner of space and time. And we thought, well, this looks the right place. Check this out. And so we walked into Charlie B's and we ordered some beers and we started playing pool. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were just kind of passing the time at this point. And as we were playing pool, my friend, John, who I was traveling with, um, said, Hey, I think this is the town where that, that there was that professor, that art history professor at Wabash college. That's where we had just graduated from okay. several months. Ago. And he said, I think that professor we knew at Wabash, named Raphael, didn't Raphael move here and get a job at the University of Montana? And I said, man, I think you're right. <laughs> um, and so the story behind that is that there, when John and I were freshmen, our freshmen and sophomore year at our college in Indiana, there had been a young professor fresh out of grad school, fresh off of his PhD, mm -hmm. who had come back, come back to his alma mater he was a graduate of Wabash College to teach his first two years out of grad school. And then he got a tenure track job at the University of Montana. And mm -hmm. so he left and he moved off to this exotic place called Missoula, Montana. And we hadn't really kept in touch since then. 
Yeah. But we knew we knew at the time we called him Professor Chacon. And we knew Professor Chacon very well when we were at Wabash College. So we found ourselves in Charlie B's drinking beer, playing pool, saying, hey, Professor Chacon, I think, moved here and lives here now. We should get a hold of him. And so we finished our beers. We walked down the street. This was before the age of cell phones and the Internet and all of that. So we mm -hmm. found a payphone. Um, and it used to be that in payphones, uh, there would be a phone book hanging mm -hmm. from a cable. And so we took the phone book and we looked up Raphael Chacon. And sure enough, he was listed in the phone book. And from this payphone, we dropped a quarter and we called Raphael. This was completely out of the blue. We got a voicemail. Voicemail said, you know, hey, this is Raphael. Leave a message. And so I left a message. I said, Raphael, it's Jason and John from Wabash College. We just landed in Missoula, Montana. We'd love to stop and say, hi, it's been a few years. Like, let's catch up. Um, we're going to hang out at this phone booth for a few minutes. If you get this message, we didn't have any other way for him to call us. Yeah. So we were like, and they used to print the phone number of the phone in the phone booth on the, on the phone panel. Mm -hmm. So I read him the number of the phone in the phone booth. And I said, call this number if you get this message, like in the next five to 10 minutes. And then we hung out and waited. Sure enough, five minutes later, the phone in the phone booth rings. And I pick it up and it's Raphael. And he mm -hmm. says, yeah, like, of course, I remember you guys. Uh, I, I'm here. I live outside of Missoula in this little town called Lolo with my, with my partner, Andy. We were like, oh, Andy, right. We, we knew Andy from when they were in Crawfordsville. We were like, fantastic. Um, and he was like, you know, I'm sure if you guys have been on the road for a few months, sleeping in the woods, camping the whole time, you'd love a hot meal and a shower. He's like, you've got to come out and hang out with us tonight. So we did. Mm -hmm. um, and it was this act of extraordinary generosity on Raphael's part. I mean, we would have been okay if he was just like, let's meet for a beer. But mm -hmm. instead, he was like, come to my house. I'm going to fix you a hot meal. I'm going to I'm going to let you take a hot shower and you can stay here with us for a couple nights if you want to. If you want to sleep in a real bed, get off the road, get out get out of the woods, like not, yeah. you know, you're tired of camping, come stay with us for a while. Um and it was really amazing because he really didn't have to do that. It was it was just extraordinarily generous of him. So we went out and 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 we met up with Andy and Raphael um, in their house in Lolo. We had a great meal. We got cleaned up. It was amazing. Um, and basically, we ended up staying with them for three nights. Um, mm -hmm. And we told them after three nights, we were very concerned about overstaying our welcome, even mm -hmm. though we were having a blast and it was really comfortable. Um, we told them, uh, the third night that the next morning we were going to leave. Um, and so they were going to get up early and go to work. Um, and so we said our goodbyes that night, the next morning they got up and left for work. And my buddy, John and I were packing up, getting ready to leave. We had no idea what we were going to do next. Things were very uncertain. And then the phone in their house started to ring and I wasn't going to answer their phone. So I let it go to voicemail. <laughs> we had one yeah. of those 
like old school answering machines where you could lit, you could hear the person leaving the message. Okay. So when the, when the answering machine picked up, it was Raphael. And he was saying, Hey guys, it's Raphael. If you're still in the house, pick up the phone. I've got some news for you. And I ran over and picked up the phone. I was like, Hey, Raphael, you know, what's going on? We we're just getting ready to walk out the door. Like what's happening. And he said, well, I've been making some calls this morning. I know you guys are a little short on cash and you're not sure what you're doing next. Yeah. He's, he's like, I found a job opportunity for you guys. And he basically said, there's this woman who we're acquainted with who owns a bunch of land out in the Ovando Valley. Mm -hmm. It's about 60 miles northeast of Missoula. He said, and I talked to her this morning and she would like help getting her ranch land ready for winter. Um, she's got some fences to fix, some basic labor stuff she needs help with. If you guys are willing to drive out there this morning, she's home and she will interview you. And if the interview goes well, she'll hire you and you can help her get ready for, get her ranch ready for winter and maybe work mm -hmm. for her for a week or two, uh, put some cash in your pocket. And that way you've got some funds to go on to your next adventure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So anyway, it was just incredibly nice of him to do this for us. And we we drove out to Ovando. We had this interview. It went well. We got this job. And after a few weeks, we ended up getting hired on to this project as co-ranch managers. Um, okay. And that was our, that ended, that ended up being my very first official job out of college. Mm -hmm. I was working on this ranch in the Ovando Valley. I say ranch. It wasn't really a working ranch. This woman who had bought this property, it was several thousand acres and she had taken the cattle off of it. And she was, her goal was to reestablish wildlife habitat, just, just viable, healthy wildlife habitat. It was a habitat restoration project. Okay. Uh, and so anyway, that ended up being my first job out of college due to this kind of chance encounter Raphael's generosity, hooking us up with 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 a place to stay for a few nights, and then mm -hmm. and then finding a job for us, none of which he had to do, um, and it ended up being an absolutely incredible experience. And we worked on this land for about a year, um, mm -hmm. and that was my introduction to Western Montana. Okay, here we are, all these years later. It's 2022, and I'm back in Western Montana mm -hmm. um, after a number of years away. And um, my wife and I are building a house that is on land that is next door to Andy and Raphael. Wow. And they're still there? And they're still here. They've been here this whole time. Um, they moved from Lolo out to the Moise Valley, which is out by the National Bison Range. Okay. Um, and they own some acreage out here. Um, and when we moved out here several years ago, uh, after 15 years in Chicago, um, I, I got a job offer at the University of Montana. And one of the mm -hmm. first people I called was Raphael because I wanted to talk about the university and what he thought about the job opportunity because he'd been there for a long time at this point. Yeah. And in one of our first conversations, he said, hey, I don't know what you guys have, are planning to do when you get out here in terms of where you're going to live what you're going to do in terms of housing. But he said, if you have any desire to own land in a rural area, he said, I think our neighbors are getting ready to sell their land. And uh, if you jump on it now, I think you can get in. 
and uh, th th there's just a great opportunity out here. So we came and looked at this piece of property mm -hmm. next door to where Andy and Raphael live. And uh, lo and behold, it's a beautiful piece of property. I'm actually sitting on it right now. Um, and, and we ended up buying the land and we're now in the process of building a house. So this is a great, like, you know, for me, this is a very like story that's come full circle. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. What a journey. And I, I understand what you mean as you, when you said this is really a, kind of a full circle moment. Um, I think that's kind of crazy and that Raphael is still, still here and that you'll be living right next to him. <laughs> we're, we're neighbors. Yeah. We're going to be neighbors. That is crazy. Okay. Um, so you did mention that you did leave Montana um, for a little bit. And did you know you wanted to come back or did you kind yes. of? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, part of the rest of that story is I worked on ranches out here for a couple of years and then I decided to go back to school and I, I went to the university of Montana cause I was, I, I loved it here. I didn't want to leave Montana. Mm -hmm. So I, so I applied for and was accepted to a graduate program at UM and I ended up getting my master's degree at UM in English literature. While I was getting that degree in literature at UM, I met mm -hmm. the person who is, who I'm now married to, um, Addie, who was getting her MFA in poetry. And so we were in the English program together. Mm -hmm. And when we both got done with graduate school in 2004, um, that was a time in Missoula where it was very difficult to find a good job. Mm -hmm. um, it was just that the job market was really tough in this part of the world um, at that point in time. And so we didn't really feel that we had much of an option but to leave um, basically to seek careers. And at that point, that, that we ended up moving to Chicago. Um, and so we moved to Chicago from Missoula in 2004. We moved there together. Um, and then we got married. And then we ended up spending the next 15 years in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And toward the end of that time in Chicago, we had never really stopped talking about our love for Western Montana. <laughs> um, yeah. And so... The last couple of years we were in Chicago, I, we both started looking very diligently for any way that we could get back out here and, and, and any way that we could get back out here and have kind of create like a viable living situation for ourselves in terms of jobs, right? Because that's, yeah. always, the, that's the, always the trick bag, right? How, what are you going to do for work? How are you going to make a living? And I happened to be looking at the University of Montana's job page one day, and I saw a job advertised as uh, the job was a, a, a for a risk management position at the University of Montana. And it just so happened that in this intervening 15 years that I spent in Chicago, mm -hmm. um, what I had done with my English lit degree was I had gotten into business and kind of by chance and one thing led to another and i got into risk management okay and i looked at this job opportunity at the university of montana and i was like man i i think i'm qualified for that job mm -hmm. and so i applied and it went very quickly i went from applying to the job to having an acceptance letter in a matter of a couple of weeks um and that was it as soon as i had that acceptance letter in hand we were like 
we're it's, it's been a good ride chicago <laughs> but, but we are out and uh we were that was one of the it was one of the most exciting moments of our of our lives actually we were so thrilled to move back here mm -hmm. wow that's really exciting and i'm glad things worked out so at this point how long have you been back in montana uh we came back in the fall of 2018 so it's been about three and a half years okay and what motivated you to build this house like was this also something you had in your mind for a while as well yeah i mean that's a great question so it had been a well it had been a dream of mine since i was pretty young since i was in my early 20s mm -hmm. to someday design and build my own house yeah um, and then when addy and i got married that turned out fortunately to be a dream that she shared with me um we spent a lot of time i mean i didn't get real serious about a career until i was in my early 30s mm -hmm. and so this story that i've just told you kind of there's big chunks that i've by necessity of time here that i've left out yeah the bottom line is you know by the time we were living in Chicago in the mid 2000s, we were both in our 30s and we had spent 15 years renting, living in places that, you know, um, I think a lot of people can relate to this. You know, you you get what you can afford and every place comes with its own set of challenges and problems and irritations, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of the spaces you're forced to live in when you're young and you don't have any money, you're just forced to live where you can afford to live. Mm -hmm. And I think that created in us a desire to someday design a space that worked with, that was designed specifically for us mm -hmm. um, where we weren't essentially living in a space that was full of other people's problems, like other people's poor decisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, and so so this has been a very long term dream of ours was to find a place in a in a rural environment. We wanted we knew we wanted to be in the country. Um, I'm a person who if I'm going to be in like in a city or in a town, I want to be in the city. Mm. If I'm not if I'm not going to be, I really don't want to be. I want to be out. Um, okay. I want to I be one. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not a suburban person. <laughs> I, 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 I don't like the in-between lands. I either I either want to be in the thick of the action, I want to be five a five-minute walk away from a great coffee shop, or I don't want to have like I don't want to be around people. I want to be in the middle of a beautiful area that's very quiet. Right. Mm -hmm. So we spent 15 years like in the city, kind of dealing with a lot of noise and a lot of chaos. Um, it was it was a great experience, and I'm glad I had that experience. But I was at a point in my life where I was really ready for something quiet. Um, and so when we found this piece of property that is very rural, um, we don't have many neighbors out here. Um, it's it's a quiet place, and um, it's peaceful, and and that felt like home to me. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to make a place here that was designed for us um and that for us meant we wanted a very small footprint um 
uh, we don't have kids um, by choice. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's just the two of us. And uh, that means that we don't need a lot of space. We don't need a complicated space. We wanted something very simple, uh, very easy to live in. Um, we kind of knew from years of talking about it exactly what we wanted. But it's hard, it's, it's hard to find that thing that ex as it exists on the market. Yeah. Because a lot of places, right, are designed for families, right? And a mm -hmm. lot of places are designed for this kind of American sensibility of having the maximum amount of square footage, the kind of maximum number of rooms you can afford. Like is a, a lot of people I feel like come to the house buying process wanting to buy. Now this has changed a little bit with the tiny house movement, things that have happened in you know the last decade. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, a lot of people, I think, still, when they go to buy a house, they want the maximum amount of space that they can afford. And that's distinctly not something we wanted. Mm -hmm. We wanted something that was, we, we didn't really want to, like, to go completely the tiny house route. Yeah. But we wanted something that was very compact, um, that just felt like just enough. And so that's why it was so exciting for us to find land where we could design our own space. Definitely. I think this is really exciting. Wow. That's very cool that it's happening right now. <laughs> right. And it's happening right now. Yes. Okay. So basically this story that you've shared, um, this in a way, like you said, kind of, shaped what you did with the rest of your life because if you hadn't stopped in missoula you think everything would be completely different everything would be completely different yeah absolutely i don't know that i would have known about this area i mean another another crazy aspect of this story that's just this kind of chance thing is that after i i spent a year working for on this habitat restoration project in the ovando valley and then the friend that I traveled out here with went back to Indiana to go to grad school at that point in time. And I stayed in Montana. And at that point I moved up to the, uh, I moved up to a place outside of Arlie, uh, mm -hmm. on, on the reservation. And, um, I got a job for a rancher who was a tribal member and he hired me uh, that would have been the summer of the summer of 98. He hired me to um, make hay for his ranching operation. I'm a mm -hmm. farm kid. I grew up on a farm in Indiana, so I knew how to make hay. It was one, okay. one of the skills I brought to Montana. Was <laughs> now how to make hay, right? He hired me to make hay for him that summer. And at the time, he was leasing a piece of tribal ground where he made hay that was in the Moise Valley, which was a few miles from where his actual ranch was located. So I traveled to this valley to make hay, <laughs> to, to cut hay and rake hay and bale hay for this rancher. Okay. And I got out here and I thought, my God, this is one of the most beautiful places I have ever seen in my life. If I could ever find a way to live here, um, I would love to live in this spot. And at the time, I didn't see how that would ever be possible. Mm -hmm. I just, it seemed like a pipe dream. I mean, it seemed like something that it was just at the time for me, 
I was just scraping together life. Like I, I was living paycheck to paycheck. I was essentially a ranch hand. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have any, I didn't have any money. I didn't see how I'd, I would ever be able to afford anything. But I thought, you know, someday if I could live here, I would really love to. Well, it turns out that from this piece of property that we now own, where we're building our house, I can actually see that hayfield that I was in when I had that moment. Wow. It's right down the road. Wow. I don't know. It, it's a, it's a crazy thing. I, I, I don't claim to understand it, but uh, something about, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really totally believe in that thing about, you know, you put it out into the universe and then it comes back to you. Like, I, I don't really necessarily believe all that, but boy, it's been, it's been quite a, quite a, again, a full circle thing. Um, Definitely. You know, it's been it's been a thing that's like 25 years in the making. Yeah, I think that is really crazy that you are like coming back and completing, I guess, those dreams that you had so long ago. And it's really tangible. Like you do see that where you were those years ago. I think this is crazy, but also very exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I hear, you know, Sierra, I hear a lot of I hear a lot of despair these days in, you know, like, uh, you know, Gen Z people who are getting out of college right now in the world looks very bleak Mm -hmm. job opportunities. Don't look great. I think there are a lot of people who kind of, a lot of young people who are in this kind of state of despair. And I can actually, I can, as a Gen Xer, believe it or not, I can relate to that. I don't think a lot of people, I don't think, I don't think most people my age necessarily went through that, but I think there were some of us back in the, back in the late nineties and early two thousands who went through that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I just always want to tell people like, I, I don't know, it sounds super cheesy, but like, hang in there. Like, you know, it's, it's okay to want what you want and uh, just, just, just keep going. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. you never know. You never know. As, as, as desperate and bleak as things may look now, it can also turn around um, and you can end up in a place that's kind of like in a situation that is beyond your wildest dreams if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. Well, Jason, I think we will start wrapping things up, but I always ask at the end of each episode, what is the best piece of life advice that you've been given? <laughs> the best piece of life advice. Um, I mean, I think, I think I just, I think I just kind of touched on that, which yeah. is um, there's a lot to be said for perseverance. And, you know, despite the fact that things may look, things may look somewhat hopeless at certain points in your life, keep getting out of bed, keep doing, keep pursuing that thing, put one foot in front of the other, a little bit like when you're facing down a long hike, right? Um, when you're in that first mile of a 10, 12, 15 mile hike, um, it, 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 it seems like you're never going to arrive at the destination. But the thing is, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and eventually you do arrive. Mm-hmm. You, you arrive at some point. It may not be exactly what you had in mind, uh, but you're, you're, you're going to keep making progress. And that's what I would that's probably the best advice I've gotten is keep, keep moving. Yeah. Okay. No, I like it. I think it's certainly a good piece of advice. 
All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today, Jason, and I enjoyed hearing your story. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Thank you once again, Jason. And thank you guys for listening and take care. Thanks, Sierra and Jason. Jason Sloat grew up on a farm in Indiana. After graduating from college, he spent a couple of years working on ranches in western Montana. During that time, he fell in love with the beauty of Montana's wild spaces. He eventually completed graduate school at the University of Montana and now works for UM as the Director of Risk Management. Sierra Ty Brownlee is a curious individual with a never-ending interest in people and their stories. From asking 50 strangers for their best piece of life advice, to sitting down to hear about pivotal stories on her podcast, Impactful Experiences, with Sierra Ty Brownlee, Sierra is always excited to meet new people and hear what they would like to share. You can find the Impactful Experiences podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our in-kind sponsors, Joyce of Tile, Gecko Designs, Float Missoula, and Missoula Broadcasting Company. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Remember to get your ticket to the next event, September 27th, 2022, live at the Denison Theater. The theme is Letting Go. More information and tickets are available at tellussomething.org.